0: Thank you very much, Kate. Let us pray together. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, yesterday, about 50 people from this church uh, enjoyed the Portsmouth sunshine for our summer outing. And many explored the fantastic uh, Historic dockyard, some of us toured around HMS Victory, an amazing feat of engineering. We were reminded of the role of Nelson's flagship and what it played in the Battle of Trafalgar. And some braved the trip to the top of the Spinnaker Tower, the lift taking 28 seconds to reach over 100 metres for fantastic panoramic views and also a test of faith. I know Rose and Christina and others stepped onto a glass platform with nothing beneath them. Absolutely amazing what faith you have. And I think Chris Lawal, is he around? He's just about recovered from his nerves at the top there. But at least he went up, which is more than Dr. Atkins did. <laughs> But the thing that left a lasting impression on me yesterday was our tea together in Porchester Methodist Church. Not just because of the wonderful sandwiches and cakes which we enjoyed there, but the hospitality of faithful Methodist people. We were warmly welcomed by some of the church members there, and the love of that little church community was tangible. Not surprising, therefore, to hear of their mission initiative. Their minister, John, told us how they were redeveloping the church, to switch the orientation of the church round, to face the car park and the high street where people actually gathered, to set up a community cafe to serve the locality. Their love was evident, and they asked us to pray, deeply moved, about a couple who'd sadly lost a child faithful Methodist saints, clearly bearing fruit in their fellowship together through pastoral care and mission. And when we write to them as a sister church, we need to encourage them in their endeavors. Now our gospel lesson uh, from uh, Colossians begins with a letter of encouragement too. I'll avoid the temptation to mine the depths of this passage in detail because it's rich. Both our Old Testament lesson and our epistle readings have got so much in them, but I offer a few things for us to ponder. The letter claims to have been written by Paul to a relatively new church plant, if you like, in Colossae, a Christian community at the heart of a cosmopolitan trade center. And the church had possibly been founded by Epaphras, who told Paul and Timothy about them. And Paul probably hadn't been to Colossae himself, yet from prison he was writing a letter of encouragement, reminding them that they were part of a wider Christian community. He gives thanks for these faithful sisters and brothers in Christ who were in a relationship with the holy God, and they were bearing fruit together. And he was urging them not to continue in their own strength. Yes, later in his letter he addresses some false teachings that were in the community, but he doesn't begin his letter with that. Rather he starts with praise. So Paul doesn't say to this young church in Colossae, well done for getting your systematic theology right. He doesn't say, well done, I commend your worship, your rituals, and your music. He doesn't highlight what they were wearing or eating. Neither does he comment on their membership requirements, or how they were structuring their church community, or the quality of their offices or their committee meetings. No, Paul gives thanks for their faith, love, and hope. That was central. So in verses four to six, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all his people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard, the true word of the gospel that has come to you. And then in verse eight, Paul says that Epaphras has mentioned their love in the Spirit. When the good news of Jesus truly transforms lives, love is the feature of the new community in Christ, the new life in Christ. And when I visit uh, various churches uh, around the Methodist Connection, the ones that really have an impact on me, is where there is love in the spirit, at the heart of the community, and it leaves a real impression on you. Essentially, it's not about what their numbers are in their church, or their programs, or their doctrinal perfection, or the charisma of their leaders. You can have all that, and yet not possess love at the heart. And it's my prayer in this church that we may always watch over one another in love, to ensure that we bear that fruit of love at the heart of everything that we do. So when people encounter this community of faith, they say, see how these Christians love one another. If we don't do that, we need to examine our relationship with Christ and pray for a deeper work of the holy spirit in our lives because if we have love not don't have love we have nothing paul's words in 1 corinthians 13 if i speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love i'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have faith that can remove mountains but have not love i am nothing If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Whenever in our church we have disputes over various things, which we will always do because we're a community, we should read 1 Corinthians 13 over and over. It's the same in families as well when we disagree over something. as we discuss complex issues together, we need to read through that passage. At the moment, the Methodist church is wrestling with matters to do with human sexuality. We must do that, a difficult subject, but we must do it with love in our hearts, with honesty and openness together. We must respect one another and say, sometimes we need to learn to disagree well, living with difference in our Christian communities. The founder of the Rotary organization, Paul Harris, believed that ignorance is a menace to peace. Perhaps active listening and creative dialogue with those with whom we listen is the key to fostering fellowship, understanding and peace, always reading the word of God and seeking what God's saying to us. How can we as a church model disagreeing well in a world that finds it so difficult and divides itself because it cannot find a way of keeping community together? Well, Paul is delighted with this church at Colossae. They're bearing fruit in their Christian lives and what's more, their love was crossing boundaries just as Jesus taught, should be the case. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Okay, the Colossian church hadn't got everything right, but their love and faith in action meant they were pregnant with promise for the kingdom. The Lord could use them, and Paul was praying for them, assuring them that his prayers were unceasing for the spiritual resources that they needed to grow in faith. That they be filled with the knowledge of Christ's will, with wisdom and understanding that only the Spirit can give. I believe when we carefully discern Christ's will together in love and respond obediently to God's word in the Lord's strength, we will then act appropriately together. We will be fruitful for the kingdom. Now, the idea of fruitfulness was common in the Roman Empire. It was used as a metaphor for the blessing of the God. It was using language, therefore, that meant sense, made sense to Gentiles, but also to his Jewish audience. In the Old Testament, fruitfulness was a mark of God's favor. Isaiah chapter 5, Israel and Judah are compared to a vineyard, The prophet promises that fruitfulness will be restored. And there's a connection between fruitfulness, justice, and obedience. And Jesus also uses the image of a tree being known by its fruit. The parable of the sower is another one, and so I could go on. When we visited Porchester Methodist Church yesterday, I just had a sense of being with them that they were bearing fruit in our homes, in our workplace. Are we bearing the fruit of a right relationship with Christ? And this is nothing new. If you look at our Old Testament lesson in Deuteronomy, it makes this clear, reinforcing the covenant relationship. You will again obey the Lord and follow his commands that I am giving you today. If they do that, There was the the promise of blessing and fruitfulness. I think it uses the word prosper in the NIV. But if people turned to God, if they were obedient, then they would know his blessing. The problem was with the law, that they grasped some of the law and kept some of it and didn't keep the rest of it, and they only knew partially his blessing, socially, economically, and so on. But if they got their relationship with God right, if they loved God and loved other people, then blessing flowed. You've only got to ask our our treasurer, Amma, that actually when we've been generous as a church, God seems to have blessed it. It's not a formula, but actually when love is at the heart, when we are generous, we know that God is with us because he blesses what is part of his kingdom. It's essentially simple. It's not difficult to understand. It wasn't unachievable or idealistic. But with God's help, it wasn't too demanding either. God never said to his people it would be easy. The Lord's power, though, can see us through difficult times and the most complex of issues and challenges in our church community. I love that bit from the Old Testament uh, that was echoed in that Graham Kendrick song. I think I said it was Stuart Towning. Graham Kendrick, the song we sang earlier. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart so that you may obey it. The call to God's people was to turn to the Lord their God with their heart, with their soul. The command was from God The choice is ours. The trouble is that we often overcomplicate it. We criticize each other for the choices that we make. And God alone is our judge. And what we have to do is work out our faith before Him in love together and in that relationship with Him. Now, my dad has got a greenhouse. Uh, The problem is, he's very frail at the moment. It's difficult to get him up there. But his vine in the greenhouse is growing like mad. You don't have to force it to bear fruit. All it needs is the right environment and a little bit of pruning as well so that the growth can be concentrated in the right places. His vine is fruitful some churches i think think fruitfulness will come through seeking more and greater spiritual experiences or highs they're probably a, a product of our consumer society we want to enjoy everything we want to be, feel fulfilled in everything we get bored if things are not new or exciting but actually fruitfulness doesn't come from our programs or our initiatives essentially it comes from our intimacy with God through Christ. If we get that right, everything else bears fruit. Rather than busying ourselves with activity, we simply need to foster an environment where Christians can be more deeply in a relationship or an encounter with Jesus. And the Lord is the one, who graciously takes the initiative, he saves us, he gives us hope through his death and resurrection. He can forgive us, he can heal us, he can remake us, he can give us the wisdom and the power to love in his name. But it all begins with that intimate relationship with the Lord. I believe that this church uh, is a church where many, many of us are in a relationship with the Lord. But we need to deepen that relationship together to make sure that our church is facing the right direction in terms of our relationships with one another, but also our mission across boundaries to all people. How can we be a community that welcomes all across nationalities, across the things that divide the world? How can we be a place of healing and love? I remember one of Dr. White's uh, sermons when he was here, and it was essentially simple, that's probably how I've remembered it, where he talked about the vertical and horizontal beams of the cross. Some of you may remember this. The, uh, the vertical beam is our relationship with God, God and us. And then he talked about the horizontal beam being our right relationship with one another and what we need is the cross to transform us to get that balance right essentially it's there in the great commandment love the lord your god with all your heart mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself and if we have that at the heart of everything everything else can flow but we have to have love we have to have the heart that's strangely warmed Clearly, loving and faithful Christian communities should be places of welcome, welcoming people whatever their status, encouraging them to come on a journey with a living Christ. Whether people are in a relationship or are single, they should be welcome. I don't know whether you uh, know, but uh Radio 2 have been focusing on something uh, at the moment and that is the fact that it's uh, Faith in the World Week and uh, being single is the theme and over a third of adults in England and Wales are actually single and more than half of 25 to 45 year olds are single And there's a move towards singleness in every age group. And 50s to 64s are the fastest growing single age group, if you know what I mean by that. In other words, it's not just young people. And as a married man who's been in the same relationship for 40 years, I need to be reminded that being single isn't a one size fits all. There are those who've never found the right partner. There are those who've never wanted a partner or have chosen not to have one. There are those whose circumstances and health are complex, who are navigating their sexuality, whose marriages have regrettably and painfully failed. There are those who have been bereaved and who are grieving. And there are others whose life story is just playing out differently from mine. My dad's a good example happily married to mum for 36 years until she died of cancer, aged 57, uh, a sobering thought as I'll be 57 in August. Dad was devastated, but he's been amazing. He's coped as a widower for 22 years and some have presumed that he'd want another relationship or to remarry. they would just presumed that would be the case, but not for him. It was never really an option. Mum was his everything. All he's ever wanted subsequently was his family around him and good company. I wonder in our church whether we see in this age where many people feel distanced from community, whether we can provide a place where the spirit of love is so evident that all people find welcome whatever their status. Without quick judgments, without unhelpful suggestions, simply listening to one another's stories and praying that the Lord will sanctify us and make us more holy and discover the way of perfect love. Opening our eyes to see those who need to be noticed, opening our ears to hear and understand one another, and a heart that actually realises that everybody is valuable in God's sight, longing for everyone to come into that relationship with the living Christ. I pray today that, like Paul, we may pray for one another unceasingly, give thanks for one another, encourage one another, discerning together what the Lord's will is, in these days. And may Christ lead us into fruitful relationships. And where we differ and we cannot agree, may God's grace enable us to be gracious and generous. For as St. Paul said to the Corinthian church, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Amen. Charles Wesley captured the importance of being in a journey of faith together. And I'd like us to sing, Thou God of truth and love, we stand to sing. <laughs>